Good morning to all of you. One of the things that caught my eye when I arrived in the UK was doing the things the other way around. Learned to drive on the right in Romania. I came here was on the left. Coming to church, we used to stand when praying and reading the word, and we used to sit when singing. So this we're doing the other way around. We can change these things, you know, up or down, left or right. We can change it. What we cannot change is the love of God that is here in our hearts. And, you know, as the days go by, um, I am prouder and prouder to be a Christian. Because to be a Christian, it is a great thing. It's pro it's, it is the greatest thing to be in this world as a human being. From the text we just read, I'd like to share with you a few thoughts about the three truths that defy common sense. Apparently, they defy common sense. Three truths about Christianity. Because the first one that I see when Peter talks to the church, it wasn't, it wasn't a great time for the church. You know, there was suffering, there were tears, there were problems. Uh, both politically, outside the church, also inside the church. So it wasn't the greatest time for the church. But Peter tells them, you know, going through all this, there are three things that characterizes you, the church of Jesus Christ. And the first one is in verse 8. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. So the true Christian loves Jesus Christ without having seen Jesus. I'd like to ask you something, and if you can answer, I'd appreciate it. Is anybody here who got married without seeing first his wife, his future wife, or her future husband? Probably not. Even my mother, who did not want to marry my father those days, because her mother told her to do so, she accepted it and she married. And that's why I'm here. But she has seen, you know, my father before. There is an order. You know, to marry and love somebody, you have to at least see that person beforehand. In the Bible, Isaac is the only man that gets married to a lady that his father's servant brings to him. We're talking about Rebecca. But Isaac has not seen Rebecca before. And you may say, oh, well, but Rebecca was beautiful. Even if you would have seen her, her first time, she was beautiful. So, you know, how can you not love her? But no, when Isaac meets Rebecca, it says in Genesis 24, chapter 24, it says, so she took her veil and covered herself. So even when he met her, he did not see. He, he only has seen her eyes because she took the veil and covered her face. He was covered otherwise. So the only man that I see in the Bible marrying somebody and loving somebody without him seeing her before is Isaac. Even Jesus Christ, our Lord, when he comes to take his bride, he knows how she looks. Ephesians chapter 5, it says, Husbands, Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, 
and to present her to himself how? As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. So even Jesus Christ, he knows how his bride looks like before coming to take her. Every person that is rational first sees, then likes, and then loves. Though you have not seen him, you love him. So how, what's the explanation to all this? How can you love somebody before seeing him or her? Christians love Jesus Christ without having seen him. This defies common sense. When you look from the outside, from the world, defies the logic. So what's the explanation? Now we find it in 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him, this is what King James Version says, we love him because he first loved us. So he was the one to make the first step. He was the one that took the initiative. So our love is only the response we have for him. Romans chapter 11, verse 35. Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? In, in history, Christians loved Jesus Christ so much that they sacrificed their possessions, their careers, their status, their belongings. They gave up everything, but this is because God gave up everything for us. He gave us his, own, his one and only son. Christians even gave their lives because Jesus gave his life first for us. I'm not sure if you've heard of a guy called John Allen Cho. It's a guy that lived up until 2018, so he was with us up until one year, a few months ago. At 26 years old, he, uh, he was half Chinese, half American, born to a Chinese father, American mother. But in November 2018, he traveled to an island called North Sentinel Island, somewhere in the Andaman Islands, close to Burma, but part of India. It is an island where uh, lives one of the last uncontacted people in this world. So um, he reached Port Blair in 2018, in October. Uh, he prepared, he assembled there an, an initial contact kit. And I wrote what he put there. He put some picture cards for communication, some bandages, some dental forceps, you know, if they shoot the arrows to you and they come in so you can get them out. And he also put some gifts for the Sentinelese people. Some tweezers, some scissors, cord, safety pins, fish hooks. Now, he did prepare for this. He prayed a lot and he even entered the self-imposed quarantine. He, he went by uh, for 11 days without direct sunlight. Uh, now I, I will read to you the last few days of his life as presented by the Guardian, by the newspaper. They say like this, and this is all based on his diary because he took notes and he wrote after, after you know, anything uh, happened. So they say like this, on the night of 14th of November, he and some fishermen, Christians who had agreed to help, set out in darkness for North Sentinel, carefully avoiding coast guard vessels. Their journey was illuminated by glowing plankton, Cho wrote, and around them fish jumped like darting mermaids. 
They reached North Sentinel late at night and anchored nearby. The next morning, the 15th of November, he made his first approach. The fisherman refused to go any closer to the island, so he stripped to his underwear. He thought it would make the Sentinelese more at ease and paddled the kayak towards the shore. He saw a hut and some dugout canoes. As he paddled up to the beach, several Sentinelese faces painted yellow and speaking a language of high-pitched sounds came rushing out. My name is John, he shouted from his kayak. I love you and Jesus loves you. When the islanders began stringing their bows, he panicked. He threw toward them some fish he had bought as a gift, then, according to his diary, turned and paddled like I never have in my life. Later that day, he made another attempt, this time landing on the island. He laid out more gifts, then approached the hut he was chased from earlier, staying out of arrow range. About half a dozen Sentinelese emerged and began to whoop and shout. He walked closer to try to hear what they were saying. He tried to parrot their words back to them, and then Sentinelese burst out laughing. They were probably saying bad words or insulting me, he concluded in his diary. He sang worship songs and preached from Genesis. For a while, the Sentinelese seemed to tolerate his presence. Then a boy shot an arrow at him. The arrow struck the waterproof Bible he was holding. He pulled it out, gave it back to the boy, and hastily retreated. The Sentinelese had taken his kayak, so he was forced to swim almost a mile to the fishing boat. I'm scared, he wrote that night in his diary. Watching the sunset, and it's beautiful. I'm wondering if it will be the last sunset I see before being in a place where the sun never sets. You guys might think I'm crazy in all this, he wrote to his family. But I think it's worth it to declare Jesus to these people. Is this Satan's last stronghold, he asked God, a place where none have heard or even had the chance to hear your name? He decided he would make his next attempt without the fishing vessel floating nearby. Appearing alone might make the Sentinelese more comfortable, he thought. And if the approach went badly, this would spare the fishermen from having to bear witness to my death. His diary makes it clear that he didn't want to die, but accepted the possibility. I think I could be more useful alive, he wrote. But to you, God, I give all the glory of whatever happens. He asked God to forgive any of those on this island who try to kill me, especially if they succeed. Shortly after dawn on the 16th of November, the last day he was seen alive, John Cho asked the fisherman to drop him off alone. He also asked the fisherman to come back the next day for him, but not to stay there. He knew the risks, but the people of North Sentinel needed to hear about Jesus, and he was determined to save them. He struck out once more for the shore. And the fishermen came the next day, and they did find him, but he was on the beach lying down, and he had a few arrows inside him. Now, this guy, John Allen, he was criticized for interfering into these people's lives unnecessary, but so was John Williams in the, the 18th century. So was John G. Patton in the 19th century. So was Jim Elliot in the 20th century. And do you know where Jim Elliot has been and he was killed as well? There is a church now. This is because 
people love Jesus without having seen him because he first loved us. He first died for us. So this is the first truth about the church, about us, about Christians. We love him although we have never seen him before. But it is because he has loved us first. The second truth is the true Christian believes in Jesus Christ without seeing him. Even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. What is faith? Some would say to see is to believe. And many believe this. You know, even some Christians believe this. Faith is believing. Some say faith is believing what you want to believe, yet you cannot prove. Sadly, many people, including some Christians, live with this definition of faith. For some, it feels liberating. Um, believe anything you want. You cannot explain. You don't have to explain. It's just a matter of faith. You don't have to explain it. Believe anything you want. For others, such a definition is stop thinking. It's just sickening, you know, for some other people. Embracing faith means you stop thinking. As faith increases, reason and meaning eventually disappear. No explanation can be given because uh, there is no explanation and no explanation can be expected. So for both these groups of people, the problem is the same. They start with the wrong definition of faith. They have asked the wrong question. They're dealing with the wrong problem and they end up with the wrong answer. When you start with the wrong definition, you get the wrong answer. So what's the right definition of faith? We go to Hebrews chapter 11. And this is where King James versions, uh, Version helps us. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And to be complete definition of faith, we go to verse 6. It says, and without faith it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and, then he, and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. So faith in somebody means that you believe that somebody exists. Faith in Jesus, faith in God means that you believe that he exists first and that he is trustworthy. You can put your trust in him. Faith that does not mean wishful thinking, does not mean to believe what you want to believe, but you cannot prove. Faith does not mean stop thinking, because otherwise we may believe in unicorns and mermaids. And it's something and may, maybe some of us wish to see that exist. And, uh, you know, we just have faith that some mermaids exist somewhere on an island. But that, that's not faith. Faith does not mean believing in what you want to believe, but you cannot prove. You know, a few months ago, I think it was May, last May's first bank holiday, with the worship team, we went to Devon for three days. You know, everything that's nice, it lasts only a few days. Uh, but on the way back, some of us researched, we wanted to visit a place. And uh, I think it was somebody from us that found Chalice Well. Has anybody been to Chalice Well in Somerset? What is Chalice Well? It's a well. It's a spring. 
But we didn't look at um, you know what other people said on Google about Chalice World. We just uh, we've seen five of five five stars out of five. So we said, okay, let's go and see there. And when we reached that place, it was a strange feeling because we could see strange ladies dressed with strangely dresses and you know their hair, disheveled hair and. Uh, it was just a bit strange, but we thought, okay, maybe this is the area we came. So um, when we got to enter this place, in the end, I didn't enter because I thought, you know, enough is enough. But there was a, there was a placard there, and I, if we can put, Aaron, the picture that I did take about uh, that placard, there was one message there, and uh, I don't get easily, you know, uh, upset by or... But this message says, come not to find the answers, come to lose, lose the questions. Uh, this did upset me. You know, uh, if I've got questions and I'm coming to, for some answers, you're telling me I'll lose the questions, not to lose, search for the answers. You know, a, a rational man, it's about Buddhism. It's a place where people come and, you know, they play and uh, they do whatever their spiritual things there. So uh, I, I got a bit upset about this, come not to find the answers, come to lose the questions. Faith does not mean you stop thinking. No, you still think. So why does a Christian believe in somebody he or she does not see? Christian faith does not mean believing without evidence or without proof. Christian faith is the correct answer to the evidence. First Corinthians says, Paul, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Greg Kaukel, an American apologist, says, Christian faith cares about the evidence. The facts matter. You can't have assurance for something you don't know you're going to get. You can only hope for it. This is why the resurrection of Jesus is so important. It gives assurance to the hope. It is the evidence that gives us the assurance to our hope. This explains why so many blind people put their faith in Jesus Christ, although they have never seen him. Blind people. And one of them is Fanny Crosby. You probably have heard about her. Born in the 19th century in America, a healthy girl, when she was six weeks old, uh, she became ill, her eyes became swollen and teary, and the doctor that came to see her, it was a fake doctor. So uh, he gave the parents a mustard seed cream. The parents did not know that this cream burns the skin. So they applied the cream to the eyes, and uh, this cream burned uh, or affected the, the optical nerve of this girl, and she lost her sight. But she lived for 94 years, almost 95 years, and she wrote more than 9,000 hymns. One of the hymns that I'd like to sing together with you now is Blessed Assurance. So I, if we can have the words on the screen and uh, the instruments play. This lady who was, born 90, who was uh, blind 94 years could believe in Jesus without seeing him. You know, a well-meaning preacher told her at some point, I think, and I quote, I think it is a great pity that the master did not give you sight when he showered so many other gifts upon you. And she was quick to reply, 
Do you know that if at birth I had been able to make one petition, it would have been that I was born blind? Because when I get to heaven, the first face that shall, shall ever gladden my sight will be that of my Savior. You don't have to see him to believe in him. Why? Because we have proof. The tomb is empty. He's not there anymore. So we have proof. Faith is, it means to think and to believe that God exists that, and that he is trustworthy. And the assurance is the fact that he was raised, raised from the death and he lives and he is at the right of, his, of, of our father. So seeing is not really to believe. Believing is to see. That's the correct order. We emphasize so many times seeing. You know, for science, seeing is, um, is nothing. They want something quantifiable, something that, uh, you know, they can um, exercise, they can uh, put in laboratory and test. Seeing is nothing. I've read about um, a policeman in 1966 in America. He was in his car when he received an instruction uh, from the office to go on a motorway and, uh, you know, look for a car that was abandoned. So uh, he had two colleagues in the car. They set off for the journey to, to search that abandoned vehicle. And he said, when we've reached that place, he later said, he looked up the mountain, he, he saw a UFO. And he took the radio and he said, I'm seeing a UFO, what do I do? And the guys from up there, they told him, you followed the UFO. So he later wrote, uh, you know, we got into our police vehicle and we went, we've driven where we thought that the UFO was flying. And the faster they were traveling the UFO, the faster went. And it was funny, he said, when we stopped at intersection, at junctions, it seemed the UFO slowed down. And they, they drove the vehicle up until they, they were left out of fuel. And then the, you know, the high-ranked officers told them to come back. It turned out the uh, next day that they, they were following, I think it was Saturn, because on that night Saturn was, you know, visible in a combination of fog and, you know, light, moonlight and Saturn. So seeing for science is not really the best proof. But we do have the best proof is the empty tomb. So a Christian can love Jesus Christ and believe in him without seeing him because we have the proof. But there is the, the third truth about Christians, about us, about the church. The true Christian rejoices for something he does not have. We say in theological terms, saved but not yet. We are saved, we believe in our salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ, but it's not yet. There is a time to come. The world promises to give us right now, right here, what we want. And says, what, why, went, why wait for another life when you've got this one? Enjoy it as you like it. You can have money, you can have uh, pleasures, you can have social status, you can have you know, anything you like, just enjoy it. Why wait for another life? They even have sayings, a sparrow, a sparrow in the fist is better than a pigeon on the roof. Or a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. 
Yes, so, you know, they even have sayings for that. But the Christian rejoices for something he does not have yet. Because the world promises so much, but delivers so little. Promises so much, but you cannot trust the world. The world promises so much, but cannot offer the salvation of, of our souls. You know, the world changes its mind, lies, promises, what it cannot deliver. On the contrary, Jesus Christ is unchangeable. And that's why we can rejoice, although we don't have it yet. We know we, uh, you know, we have salvation in Jesus Christ, in his blood. We're saved, but not yet. But we rejoice this. And when we rejoice in the hope, because our hope has reassurance. He is the assurance, because he is not in the tomb. The tomb is empty. He does not change. What he promised, he will do. He keeps his promises. Matthew chapter 24. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Numbers chapter 23. God is not human that he should lie. Not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? So these are the three truths that Peter tells the church about. You know, you love Jesus Christ, although you have not seen him, but this is because he loved you first. You believe in him because although you do not see him now, you have proof there is an empty tomb, and you rejoice for something that you do not have. We rejoice for something we do not have yet because he does not change his mind. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. One of the characteristics of God is immutability. He does not change. And this gives me joy. To be a Christian, to love somebody who I have not seen yet. To believe in somebody that I cannot see yet physically. And to rejoice something that I yet don't have is only a Christian can do. That's why I'm glad to be a Christian and part of his church. And uh, I just pray that he gives me the power to show this joy, to spread this joy, to tell others not to keep quiet, to say the truth, and to, sh to tell the truth with love, not because we keep the truth and we have it, no. Because we have to tell them that, you know, there are some other people that they've been loved by God as well. So I, the way, I, I, I love the way that Ravi Zachariah, he tells people the truth. You know, uh, the motto of his organization is we want to help the thinker believe and to help the believer think. We are called to think as believers and we're called to help the thinkers to believe, but with love. When we will do that, I think more people will come to Christ. May God bless us and uh, um, make us realize the great blessing that we have to be part of his church. Amen.